0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. McKee gets it in the middle. They play together, they believe. Um, it cares. Levert is cold. Levert. Back in.
1: Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew!
0: Holiday.
1: shot clock down to six, finds one go!
0: Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. And of course, read us over Indie Indy Cornrows. We have a, a lot of great stuff coming out. Summer League starts up in two days if you're listening today on Friday, um, at least for the Pacers, it's been starting already. And it's, it's kind of confusing how many Summer Leagues there are. I always forget that there are more than one. Uh, I will actually be out in Vegas, which I'm excited about. Also, not as excited because of the way that everything's going with uh, the pandemic. But regardless, I'm here to talk with good friend and colleague, Caitlin Cooper, about a myriad of of, of Pacers related things. Caitlin, how are you doing today?
1: Doing well. It's everybody's worst nightmare. I'm on three pods in a row.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, so also, I mean, not even just speaking on this pod, uh, you guys should go listen. Caitlin was just on Fast Break Breakfast today. Very enjoyable. I think Jared Weiss was on as well. Just before you, uh, always enjoy hearing on other pods. Caitlin, the more that we get of you, the better, in my opinion. But uh, any outshine popsicles today? It is a very, it's not a super hot one, but it's it's hitting 82 where I'm at. So I'm feeling like you may have had an outshine today.
1: Oh, I don't conform, I don't conform to seasonal food norms Mark. I, I would eat a that day. That is true. You were eating I them actually, in the middle of winter too. I, I was, but I actually <laughs> ate the last one yesterday, so I'm not going to have one today. So that's that's pretty sad. But I that did make soup sad. in the middle of hot summer, so I'm going to have that later.
0: I I can't, you know I can't fault you for that. I, I do enjoy a good soup now and again. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we ride with it. Any Anytime, you know, you, you just need sustenance and it doesn't have to fit the season. I think you and I are, definitely have established ourselves as outside the norm with with nutrition. Um, also speaking of outside the norm, the, the Pacers right now, uh, not that they're completely outside the norm, but there was some stuff that came out from the Indy Star yesterday and reporting from Jay Michael uh, that the Pacers, and this, this was sourced, that the Pacers are considering or thinking about uh the idea of, of of benching Miles Turner and having him come off the bench, staggering him and Sabonis. Uh, and I think that that is a very important jumping off point, Uh as we as we talked about a little bit before we got on here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where you land with it, but I mean, just as a direct quote from the article, it says, it's possible. Another league source told Indy Star that Carlisle will split the starting bigs and have Turner come off the bench. And I, I don't know, like, obviously Jay's very good at his job. I don't know. If that, if league source means that's coming from the Pacers, or if that's, you know, could be another team's idea of how they might solve some of their roster issues. So I want to put that out there that I don't know. Um, But that's just highly questionable to me. I, I just feel like if this is where we're at with it, that to the point where you feel like you need to split them up in order for this team to be the most successful, then I think the options need to be twofold. I think it's either time to move on from the pairing. Or if there's off not offers out there that you like to move on from the pairing, then it needs to continue as it is. You need to find a way for these two guys to play and work together on the court. Like, I just don't see telling Miles Turner after years of starting that you're going to the bench. And in the reverse, Sabonis is a two-time all-star. You're not telling him to go to the bench either. And this isn't me trying to act like that they, you know, wouldn't be accepting of this. I don't know that of either one of them. I just find it, kind of ridiculous when they're each earning $18 million a year, especially at a position that, as we know, has waned somewhat in importance across the league. I don't even know if that's what word I want to use, but um, to be paying one of them $18 million to come off the bench. And it's not all about the contract value. It's just – I think you just need to be able to find a way for two of your very best players to be able to be on the floor together at the start and the end of games with your other best three players? Where are you at?
0: Yeah, so I think that's that's a really great point. Like, it's not even about the money to me. It's just like, Miles and Domas are clearly two of the five best players on the team. If they cannot close games together and they can't spend the majority of the time on court together, then, or just if you you don't, if, if your team or organization doesn't view them as viable together, then you have to find a way to change that because you're just doing yourself, you're doing A, the player who has to bench, get benched to the service be you're just kind of halting your team in some ways. Uh, and also just to go back to the article for a second, uh, Jay said that uh, when asked about it, Miles was miffed uh, at the idea of, of going back to the bench, which he should be frankly. Um, and I, I definitely fall in the same boat. I had a, um, I actually had a, a friend who's a scout text me about this this morning. Be like, what do you make this? I'm like, if, if that's the case, then they should just trade Miles. To be completely honest, um, like if you actually move him to the bench, a, if you don't trade him, um, you're you're tanking his trade value by having him play on the bench. Because what team's going to say, well, your guy's playing on the bench. Why would we trade th- such and such or or whatever um, that you deem as valuable if if you're not even starting this guy? Like, what is, what does that mean to us? Um, like that should not devalue miles as a player, but just given how the league works, that's how it would probably work. Um, But also just like you're saying, like, I I don't know. And this is, it's, it's always been miles. Who's in the trade rumors. Like there has been some stuff around Sabonis, but it's mostly around miles. And I just am at the point too, where like, even just on a personal level, like he, what kind of commitment does he actually feel from this organization and team? And I feel like that has to weigh on you at some point, psychologically and mentally. And, I'm sure somebody will chime in and be like, and not to be all like heated about it, but I just, it it frustrates me because I know somebody will and say like, well, you know, it's his job. He's a professional athlete. You should deal with that. And like, yes and no, like I get that. But at the same time, if your team is never going to be fully committed to you, which it just being frank, like the team hasn't been fully committed to miles for three plus years now, because he's mentioned in trades every single time uh that, that anything pops up and that's just got a weigh on you as a player like what what incentive do i have to to want to stick around for this team if, if they're not doing it for me and that's not i mean miles has worked his ass off but he's gotten better every year so that's not to say anything on his work ethic i think that honestly speaks more to it in some ways but uh, ultimately to, to the tldr for that is uh if that is the case then make a trade uh and I just don't think that that should happen. I would have real real issues if that happened because it just makes very little sense to me. You have to find a way to make it work or move on from it because I, I don't think trying to keep your foot in the door to, to, to leave things open really makes any sense in this scenario.
1: Right, because I know people like anytime – one of a team's better players gets moved or they talk about moving to the bench like we always evoke the name of Manu Ginobili like Mm -hmm. we always want to make that comparison but that that isn't comparable in this situation like the reason the Spurs did that was because Manu was so good at running offense for the second unit and that wasn't necessarily um Tony Parker was more score first in the initial of when they were doing that and Manu could still very easily like play with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. They were still going to close games with Manu Ginobili. Like this to me would be an admission of we don't think these two people can play together and we want to give them each breathing room with other units and and play smaller with a 4. So if you don't feel like and I know in the past that Rick Carlisle has been somebody who uh, values taking deeper threes. I mean, we had talked. I talked about this clear back when they had acquired Wesley Matthews from there. That that's something that Dallas did. They wanted to spread the defense out further. If they don't feel like they can get that amount of acreage with both of them on the floor, though, as I noted in the longer thing I wrote about Rick Carlisle's offense, he does know how to work around negative spacing. They had plays in their playbook that would work having them buddy up on both sides of the floor whether it was with Brogdon or Levert but if they don't feel like that's all going to be viable enough over a bigger sample size then it's exactly what you're saying like you would be it would be an admission to the rest of the league that we don't feel like this pairing can work and then it just you know we've already been hearing for however many weeks and I'm very sick of all of the witch hunts about whatever's going on in that locker room I don't want to do any of the finger pointing I don't know who it is like I'm tired of all of that but we've already heard about all this and then you're going to put these two people kind of in the situation of of borderline being competitors with one of them getting demoted like it just feels like you're adding on top of what's already there and just as reference like they played they averaged 23 and a half minutes together last season that was up from 19.8 a season ago which in part I don't really think that was Bjorken being like oh I want to up this because I think it's good I think it was he didn't have a lot of options at the four and they were trying to play Jeremy Lamb at the four. There wasn't a good way to split them up. So Nate McMillan was doing it less the year prior and they were already playing more minutes apart, 24.6 apart than they were together, 19.8. So like how much more are you going to do this? It it just at a certain point in time, it just feels like a mismanagement. And while I don't want to connect value to it, you're not going to find another competitive team, in the East rankings, that's going to pay a center eighteen million dollars to come off the bench. Like the nearest one, depending upon what the Knicks do with Mitchell Robinson, would be the new contract that Nerlens Noel just signed, which I think has like an annual average value of twelve million. Like, or if you want to throw DeAndre Jordan in there, which I think he's at like nine or ten. Like nobody else is doing that. I mean, and and again, like there was just pictures. I would want to reference that it showed that Miles was working out with Rick Carlisle in Dallas recently. So. Maybe, you know, some of this has got somewhat lost in translation. Maybe that was just coming from a brainstorming meeting of what we're going to do. But if that turns out to be what it is at the start of the season, I would just have a lot of questions because, like I said, even if you you would not just trade one of these two guys to trade them. And I understand like the most recent rumors with the Knicks, I said on the last podcast, I don't see how formulating a deal with that particular team would make the pacers better. So if you're looking at the offers and you're like, hey, we're not going to be better than we are if we kept both of these guys I understand that but then continue to try to make it work I mean I I just I mean it even goes back to what we said when we did the podcast on the two centers to close out with Mm -hmm. uh, the one series when we were talking about you know some of Sabonis' touches and the way that they run offense through him like if you're not going to run offense through Sabonis and take advantage of all that he offers in that way then my opinion at the time was then you should trade him it's the same thing with Miles here like I just find it almost borderline insulting to ask him to go back to the bench after all of the stuff that he's done as a starter over the last several years. And what he offers as a defender, like, if that's what you're going to do, then I just don't feel like you're actualizing the best out of them. Like, I don't know. And it's not even about like, well, you'd have to get buy-in and they'd have to be a six man. And maybe, maybe you would like, I mean, I'm not saying that they wouldn't agree to that role. It just, it doesn't feel like the best way to optimize the roster quite frankly.
0: Definitely not and I, it would it would just be frustrating because I don't like I I'm a fan of feel-good stories in some some regards but like I also think we have to be realistic with the NBA and recognize like Miles is a very clear starter in the NBA like it's not like he's a borderline starter like and, yeah. and not to make Jeremy Lamb seem like he's a bad player like Jeremy Lamb is a very good player when, when, when healthy or I should say a good player when healthy but like it makes sense for Jeremy Lamb to be on the bench like you can you can make those arguments be like yeah i see that like he should be on the bench there's it's just there's just like very few cases where that really makes sense with miles like he is he's too good of a player to be on the bench um, not to
1: mention what are we doing with the what are they doing with the overall depth at the center like are you just if, if you're bringing oh well, yeah cuz
0: then what's happening goga's to Goga? like oh sorry gogas Moves. just
1: completely out of the fold at that point in time you've just drafted another player who's going to need development and I think both of us indicated that it seems like there's a chance that they think his Isaiah Jackson's development could be a little bit longer maybe he spends time with the Madians but like you're just further burying guys that you've drafted at this point like and again we don't know like this may not be what the Pacers actual plan is but just going off what the reporting is it causes a lot of questions for me.
0: Yeah, me as well. And also I hope Goga is okay. Uh, he's not yeah, currently at absolutely. summer league with the team uh, dealing with personal reasons. So hopefully, uh, hopefully everything is okay with him. And he's able to get out for a, at least a little bit of summer league because he hasn't been able to participate in one yet. Um, but most importantly, just hope that he's doing okay. Um, well, we can now launch into what we are here to talk about majority of today. And I, I mean, it feeds a, a lot off of what we are just talking about right now and um you know, I've been thinking a lot about this uh, since the first day of free agency and, and things really started to change up in the Eastern Conference. Um, and you also posed the question, it was either yesterday or the day, you know, it's the day before, I think, um, on Twitter, you know, like where, like as the East stands right now, where are you seeing the Pacers at? And I was really thinking it through um, and I think, you know, without divulging where I'm at right now, like that. I I think it's closer to being out of the playoffs and being higher in the playoffs. Like, not that I think that they're not a playoff team. um, But I also think uh, this team is, it might not really be that far away from where it was last year in terms of where they're at in, in this, in the seating.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to when Tom and I, Tom, the three of us were doing our podcast post free agency there that that was something I brought up. Like we want to compare the Nate McMillan, Nate Bjorkren, old Nate, new Nate, and where the Pacers finished those two seasons. But the reality was is that there were teams that finished below them under Nate McMillan, who just flat out got better over the last year. Like, and the Pacers clearly were up against a lot of adversity this season. Like I'm not discounting any of that, but Atlanta also improved over what Atlanta was the prior season. Philadelphia's roster made more sense. They also improved over where they were. The Heat had finished below the Pacers uh, headed into the bubble and while I don't think that they were better than when they were in the NBA finals, like they did move ahead of the Pacers in the standings. So Mm -hmm. um, the Hornets also improved adding Lamelo ball and, and with what they were doing offensively. So I think that's still the case now, like the East continues to get better. I mean, people didn't see the New York Knicks climbing up the standings in the way that they did a year ago. And I think that the Knicks have the potential to be at least the same or better than what they were. So I mean, how do you want to go about structuring this? Do you want to look at tiers? Do you want to say where you could see them fitting in or do you just want to keep it more broad over how they we,
0: Yeah, let's look at Okay, well, let's Yeah, let's do tiers first. Um because I think that can help us break down where where we're at um and and seeing, you know, how the team fits in for both of us cuz I don't know if we have it in the same uh area. I think we we do for the most part. I mean, for me, uh just going top down Brooklyn is the clear-cut number one for next year, no. Like, I know Milwaukee just won the title, obviously, um, and I'm not trying to take away anything from them. But Brooklyn healthy, and, with like, they've had a very solid uh, offseason, in all honesty. I mean, they lost Jeff Green, but brought in James Johnson, who has more of a more passing touch. Um, you know, not quite the shooter, but he brings about the same defensively. Um, you know, obviously bringing back Bruce Brown, but Blake Griffin is back. Um, they traded Landry Shamit for, uh, for Javon Carter, which I wasn't entirely sure what was up with that one, but, um, I mean, they have made positive acquisitions and I've liked, I mean, De'Aaron Sharp is going to be fantastic for them. He might honestly end up even starting or playing behind Nick Claxton over De'Andre Jordan. Um, they've made a lot of moves that, that are bolstering what they did last year, making them even better this year. So I think Brooklyn is pretty clear cut almost on their own tier for me if they're fully healthy
1: well and they added patty mills
0: yeah oh god um, i forgot feeble legend patty mills
1: um, right yeah i mean i think that brooklyn's offense obviously is ridiculous they were a toe away for making the nba finals i think they would have handled atlanta pretty easily mm-hmm. if they had got past milwaukee but i mean i i think brooklyn and milwaukee are still right there i would have brooklyn number one yeah um i don't care for the fact that milwaukee didn't want to pay the luxury tax and pj tucker walked but the people that they added in I mean, people forget that Dante DiVincenzo wasn't playing at the end of the season for Milwaukee when they won the title. And I think Rodney Hood is more playable in certain circumstances than Bryn Forbes was. George Hill is going to come back there and play with less responsibility. I mean, he pretty much just has to clear the bar being better than what Jeff Teague was. He's not going to have to do as much handling with Drew there as he did when Eric Bledsoe was there. Chris Middleton's taken on more of that. Giannis has taken on more of that. So... I I still think that those are going to be the clear cut top Mm -hmm. two. Overall, I would say like, I don't enjoy this process. I would, I don't enjoy making predictions. I would much rather actually see the teams play and then base it off what I'm seeing. But I think it is important to try to see where the Pacers are in this context. Um, I think then I'd probably have like three teams that I would slot in in the same spot. I don't know where you are, but I think the Heat and the Sixers and the Hawks. I think yep. we have to pay respect to the Hawks that, that they just went to the Eastern Conference Finals and still have room to grow with a lot of their players.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And another, like, I mean, just looking at that too. Um, I mean going back, I agree totally on Milwaukee. Like like mentioning that that DiVincenzo was out. And I was I mean, that was a huge blow for them, especially to what they do defensively, which is what made some of the stuff they did even more impressive um in that same third second tier I'm I'm in the same boat I think it, Atlanta has to be up there um I you know I put out I, I made the mistake of publicly putting out my tears uh the other day when you asked that question I got a lot of pushback on the Hawks and was like do, I mean did we not just watch them like I'm not trying to be a prisoner of the moment but Trey Young is very clearly one of the best players in the Eastern Conference and the NBA um He's only getting better. And even if he does like, quote unquote, not get better or stagnant or whatever, which I don't think is going to happen. Like he's one of the probably five or six best players in the East, uh, at least as an offensive player. Um, I mean, yes, Onyeka Kongwu is going to be out for a decent portion of the season with a shoulder injury, but they signed Gorgi Dang, who was probably the best backup on the market um, who brings a lot to them. Uh They, I mean, Lou Williams is back, which, I mean, he's going to have a lesser role because they traded for DeLon Wright, who adds a lot more as a backup guard, which was one of their weaknesses in the playoffs. And that's without saying, like, they didn't have DeAndre Hunter for almost all the playoffs, and he was probably their second best player last year. Um, He's going to be better this year most likely because he was only a a sophomore player last year. Cam Reddish will be back for this entire year unless he, he deals with injury again, hopefully not. Like, this team is very young. They have a lot of room to grow. And that's without mentioning, too, like, I don't like speculating, but, like, they're one of the teams that is very – like, if a star becomes available, like, Atlanta has the means to make that happen without really losing that much. Um, So, I think Atlanta's pretty clear-cut up there for me, barring injury. Um, uh, If you had anything you wanted to add on Atlanta, I was going to go to Miami. I mean,
1: the only thing that I could say there that's – two extra things is that they didn't have a training camp under Nate McMillan. I mean, they yeah. started the season with Lloyd Pierce in charge. Now they're going to be able to hit the ground running under what they want to do. Um, we know from watching the Pacers that Nate McMillan can pile up regular season wins and help teams reach at least their floor. Um, but their entire roster was never really healthy at the same time last year. Yeah. And now they will be And it, watching the dynamics of how they divvy up those minutes and how, Um, young guys versus veterans handle some of that might be something to monitor but i mean it's not me saying that i think the hawks are necessarily going to finish in third i just i think that they deserve that respect over what they just accomplished so yeah um i would lean a little bit more in favor probably i mean i just really like what the miami heat did and there's no way Mm -hmm. to know i realize that that kyle lowry's older but we also just watched chris paul who is older do some pretty special things in the playoffs but um My general opinion of basketball is that if you take the most idealized version of a pick and pop player, the most idealized version of a rim roller and the most idealized version of a short roller, that the short roll is what's going to scare defenses the most. That creates the biggest matrix of possibilities. And while I think Bam needs to get a little bit better at at picking his spots between when he needs to be a scorer and when he needs to be a playmaker, he's never played with a point guard the caliber of Kyle Lowry, who is going to command respect at least at least forcing overs on the screens in ways that Jimmy Butler wasn't when he was handling against the Bucs and the way that the Bucs countered that. And that's going to open up the floor for them quite a bit. And to be able to throw passes to spot-up shooters rather than having to have quite as much assembly that was required, their shot difficulty over the last two years has been pretty high, even though they were draining all those shots in the bubble. I think their reality is somewhere probably in between what they were in the bubble and what they kind of flamed out being last year i don't think either of those were probably completely their true selves but i mean they also added um, pj tucker which is just a win because the bucks don't have pj tucker he can Mm -hmm. fill some of the crowder stuff and we have no idea what's going to happen with oladipo very sad watching him you know have all these knee problems and having turned down prior extensions both with the pacers and the rockets and then be re-signing on basically a prove-it deal, and and maybe he's not healthy. But if he is, that's a very cheap ad to bring somebody in who can provide defense, and they just don't have as many targeted people that you can target in their lineup anymore. At any given time, you're not just going to be able to isolate two plus people, in the way that you could that that the Bucks could in the playoffs. So, I think that the Heat are going to move up a bit from where they finished off last year.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think the biggest thing for me with them is, like you mentioned, like Bam had a really solid two-week stretch where it looked like he was kind of starting to find that next step as a scorer and it ended up not, not happening for him. And he dealt with some passivity as the year went on. Part of that is just the team was dealing with injuries. Um, so, of course, it's going to chalk up how you're doing things. And he's a really young player. Um, I think that there's another step for him this year. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's back. And worth noting, too, like Jimmy missed like the entire first month last year, dealt with COVID. Um, that put a major damper on the beginning of their season. Uh, I think overall, like you're just looking at this team to get back to having a, a better level of offense because they struggled a lot offensively last year. After being like, I mean, that was what like uh, we, we pointed out their defense a ton. At, like it just as a basketball community when when they made that run, but their offense was what what really made things run for me. And they they lost a lot of that last year. With I mean, Tyler Hero had a down year after an awesome rookie year. Um, so I think you can look at this and say, well, Hero's probably going to be better. Uh, there are some younger guys like maybe Casey Acapola takes a step up. Um, you're expecting Jimmy Butler to be the same. And and like you mentioned, I mean, Kyle Lowry is just a better basketball player on both ends than Gordon Dragic at this point. Um, and that's not shade at Gordon Dragic, but like he really struggled last year coming off the bubble uh, and dealt with a lot of injuries and just inefficiency in general. But, and they still have some room to make something else happen on the margins, whether or not like maybe they add somebody like Paul Millsap to come in and play 15 to 20 minutes per game for them and, and, and shore up their front court. But regardless, they still have moves to make and they're already like I would peg them as probably who I think will be maybe the best defensive team in basketball next year. Um, Like I would not be shocked at all. I mean, that's like four guys who have all been, and capable of, of all defense play in the starting lineup. Like, that's that's going to be a very tough team to play against.
1: Well, and like you said, like, Kyle Lowry also has the potential to juice their transition offense, which really isn't an area that they've been tapping into. Yeah. And, and outside, have, of, oh sorry, go ahead. And just having Jimmy be able to attack defenses in rotation, like he's not going to have to do as much on ball. Kyle yeah. Lowry's running it; you can kick it to him. Jimmy's a driver. Jimmy gets draws contact, gets to the line. Like stuff just becomes easier for their top two guys.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like Goran Dragic's pull up shooting kind of faded a little bit last year, and same thing with Tyler Hero. And that's going to be huge with Kyle Lowry because he's a, he's not like the best pull up shooter in the NBA, but he will never shy away from taking them. And he's pretty good at them. And that's going to be huge for opening up their offense. So I'm interested to see how that plays out there. I mean, they're going to be such a fun team to watch. I just like, I I mean, you and I both just love good basketball. And I'm excited to see what Eric Spolster gets out of them. Um, The other team that I have in this tier is Philadelphia. um, And they're one who I think is closer to being in tier one, but I just have no idea what's going on with them. uh, Because based on reporting, it really seems – I mean, especially, I think it was Jason Dumas put out yesterday that Ben Simmons has has cut off all communication with the team. And, I mean, it's been, like, pretty apparent that, that Ben is not going to be with that team this year for a month or so now, but, like, it's very, very apparent now. And I just don't I, – I do wonder what that means in terms of, like, okay, well, how does the trade like that look? Like, what happens? Like, what who do they get back? I have no idea how to gauge that, but, I mean – Joel Embiid probably was, I mean, other, I mean, I guess you could say Giannis too, but Joel Embiid was nearly MVP last year and rightfully so he was fantastic for the Sixers. Um, They shored up their bench in a lot of ways. They had a solid draft. They have young guys who are going to get better. Like I I just expect this Philadelphia team, even, even with whoever replaces Ben Simmons, if that trade does happen, um, like that is going to be a damn good team.
1: Yeah. I expect them to be good. It just depends like you're saying what are the packages because it yeah. feels like uh that there could be an in-between step like yeah that they might look for pieces that are something they could flip for dame later and and that you know maybe a team like portland doesn't want to rebuild with ben maybe they'd be more interested in you know rebuilding with whatever the sixers can get for ben um i don't know that to be the case but I would say Doc Rivers makes some very questionable rotation decisions at times. Uh, And the Andre Drummond signing doesn't make a lot of sense to me with or without Ben Simmons. I mean, it definitely doesn't make sense if, if Ben Simmons ends up playing any more games for the Sixers, which I think is highly unlikely, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't even make that much sense with Embiid. Like, I mean, they would never play them together anyways. And maybe you're just looking at it as if Embiid misses time, then you can play Drummond, but Drummond also wasn't great for the Lakers. I mean, really at all. And that team really needs to add like two things: a point guard who can shoot, and a big who can do, be more switchable and and can mm-hmm. shoot. So that if you did want to play a little bit bigger, you could. I mean, I don't know. I mean, George and Yang's definitely an upgrade over Mike Scott. I don't know if that will be remain true in the playoffs, but Mike Scott really struggled last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, still, and Doc and, and, was the <laughs> not Doc was not aware that Mike Scott was struggling, but yes, uh, yeah,
1: and still, I mean. That team should have beat the Hawks. That team should have won that series over Atlanta. I don't think anyone can really make too many arguments that they shouldn't have. So, re-signing Danny Green is big. I mean, he his cutting around and beats post-ups and just having another spacer on the floor at the same time as Seth Curry. But I just feel like there's a lot of unknowns to completely peg what should be expected of Philadelphia. And it feels like that whole situation could get pretty prickly. I mean, it already is, but then it just feels like after those three teams that there's like six teams that are going to be competing for the sixth seed quite frankly
0: yeah it's kind of a wasteland from there um I so I I kind of have it um well the way that I looked at it and maybe I'm looking at it wrong but I have Chicago a little bit ahead of Indiana and New York personally right now um I just I really liked the additions they made even though it's not perfect like um I think a lot has been made out of uh what the defense is gonna be like with Nikola Vucevic and um and DeMar DeRozan and my first thing would be like I just don't understand why people think Nikola Vucevic is this terrible defender. Like he's not amazing, but he's smart positionally if he's asked to do things correctly in a scheme. Like if if you're not asking him to come up to the level, if you're just asking him, hey, play drop and, and have your hands up. Like he's very good at doing that and not fouling. I know he lets up a high percentage of um a high field goal percentage at the rim, but like I mean, to be completely fair, Orlando had better defensive personnel than the Bulls do, but they had two top 10 defenses centered around Nikola Vucevic when when Steve Clifford was coached there. Um, so I I think some of the defensive concerns are a little bit unfair with him and, like, just don't – please don't pay attention to the on-offs from his last year in, in Orlando because that was a terrible team and that, that influences what that looks like. The defensive concerns with DeMar are very real because he has not been a good defender for quite some time. Um, but I also think instead of looking at what they don't have, like I think that's going to be a top five offense next year. Like DeMar brings them a passer and and rim pressure presence that they just frankly have not had for a couple years. Um, I know like, again, the defense isn't perfect, but his playmaking growth in San Antonio was fantastic. Uh, Like going from being like a a solid passer in Toronto to becoming a guy who can actually lead an offense in some regards – This last year, Zach Levine, prior to his health and safety protocols, um, absences were, I mean, he was having like an all-NBA season offensively to me. He improved as a defender. He still isn't great, but I think that he's closer to average than being bad. Um, Like he's still, again, I would probably put him as like a net negative, but he's gotten a lot better compared to where he was. I love the Lonzo Ball signing because I feel like he's not going to be asked to be a point guard and he's just not a point guard. Like we talked about a couple of pods ago. Um, Alex Caruso helps them with depth and showing up the point of attack losing fad definitely hurts them. But um, overall, I just think in some ways this team has been a little bit over scrutinized, like they're going in on being talented. It's going to be a lot more like, I, I don't, this is a team where I don't want to have a strong conviction on what they're going to look like because a lot's going to depend on how does Billy Donovan put them in a position to, to be competent defensively because Like we just saw this last year, like you can have guys who are competent defensively, but if you're put in the wrong scenario, it's not going to look so great in some ways.
1: Right. So I guess my overall opinion on the Bulls is is what you said. Like I would much rather be able to see what they are. And because I haven't been able to see, this is Mm -hmm. a completely remade roster. I wouldn't feel completely comfortable automatically assuming they're going to be better than the Pacers because while I haven't seen the Pacers starting five play a minute, I have seen their other pieces. Yeah at least play somewhat in combination with each other so I think the offensive fit for many of the reasons you just laid out makes complete sense to me Lonzo can be play mover Levine and Demar will put a lot of pressure on the rim the Bulls have not been good at drawing free throws DeMar DeRozan is very good at drawing free throws Vucevic is going to spread the floor for those guys this might be the most spacing DeMar DeRozan's ever played with um, at least from the Vucevic five standpoint but they do not have a lot of depth in the front court. They've kind of flipped from having way mm-hmm. too many front court players to being overloaded in the back court. Um, you're putting a lot of pressure on Patrick Williams to do better defensively because I agree with you. Um, Vucevic is not a very adaptable big. You're going to have to play drop coverage with him. I don't think he's terrible, but. And they had like a top 11 defense after that trade occurred. But when it was Vucevic on the floor, like I think a lot of that was being made up in bench minutes because they gave up 121 points per 100 when Vucevic Mm -hmm. was on the floor post-trade, which Levine wasn't playing. But I don't think all of, because of COVID issues at times, I don't think all of why they struggled record-wise was because Levine was out. Like I think yeah. there was some other underlying stuff there. So when I watched the Bulls after the Vucevic trade and looked at their defense, I think that Steve Clifford deserves a lot more credit than what he was getting. Like when I did the profile on Steve Clifford, you understand why uh, they weren't allowing as much at the rim and why they were able to cobble together two of those defenses because they're using pretty much exclusively push coverage down there. And they were trapping those sideline pick and rolls and a lot of stuff that was forcing the ball away from the rim. They were using rim deterrence so that it wasn't so much pressure on Vucevic to defend and the Bulls were predominantly using drop. Like I do agree that there's a difference in the level of defenders that are on both teams, but. I think Steve Clifford deserves credit for being good at his job and also yeah, crafting definitely. top defenses around Al Jefferson as well. And Billy Donovan's shown inventiveness in the sake that, like, you know, with the Thunder, he was using blitz coverage. Last year he did some drop. He's done switching. Like, he's, he's used different systems, so I don't want to say it can't happen. I just think mm-hmm. it's going to be a big ask at the end of the game. Like, I could just see this team giving up a lot of fourth-quarter leads because you're going to be – playing like i don't think levine's quite as bad as his defenders he's being built i think that demar is probably worse than people think that he is yeah so yeah he's like be,
0: actively a harmful defender he is yes. very very rough
1: so i mean then you're going to be looking at the bench at these you know two of those people who are making very big salaries and you're going to be like well you're going to go to the bench because we're going to play alex caruso at the point of attack like that just doesn't yeah. seem like a feasible thing for me and overall they just feel pretty top heavy they might not be quite done yet they might add some more people but uh I don't know that I can automatically pencil them in. Like I could see them pushing for the sixth seed, maybe even, mm-hmm. you know, the fifth seed. I just haven't seen it. So I'm not going to automatically say like this team is better than the Pacers because I don't know that.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I guess to me, like when I look at them, I would like, I just think like more in terms of like, I feel like there's, their stealing for what they could do this year maybe feels a little bit higher, which maybe is an unfair statement, but I think that's when I look at it on paper, that's how it feels to me. But like you said too, um, the real question is just like what goes on with their youth because Kobe White has uh been tough the first two years. Um, like I know offensively he's gotten he got a little bit better last year. The he might be the worst perimeter defender in the NBA. Uh it's close. Um, and I, I don't mean that to be rude, but that he he's got some really bad screen navigation issues. Um I just I don't know if like I think a lot of people look at guys who are more ball dominant scorers and they say, oh, well, you can just play him as a six man. And I just don't think it's always that easy. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like for him um, being asked to come off the bench more Uh, like, you know, what how does that work for like you mentioned, like how do you just like it's like the Pacers have had with 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 Miles and Domas like, okay well, you're just going to tell your your guy who's an all defense caliber player or your guy who is you know, leading your offense and is, is the pretty much the best play best offensive player on your team. Like you're just gonna say, well go sit on the bench because we want to close with a different look that maybe you know will will make more sense for the last four minutes. Like that there's definitely some stuff that that they have to answer and, and we'll see more of and um agreed. Like what whatever Patrick Williams does in terms of improvement is going to be very key for, for what they do um moving into next year. Um so, I guess – do you want to move on to New York? I think New York is a good spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I got a little bit frustrated with how people are talking about the Knicks uh, offseason because I frankly don't hate it. Like, as maybe this is more just because I'm younger. and I'm, I'm not calling you old, I promise. I saved that for Tom. Um, but, like, for me, I, the Knicks have made the playoffs twice in my, uh, like, working memory – like making it in 2013 when the Roy Hibbert block on Mellow happened and making it last year. Um, I, I kind of, I think a lot of people really wanted to see them go after a star. Um, we just aren't privy to some of the background stuff. And I'm, I'm sure that they tried to, but also like, yes, they had a lot of cap space, but they didn't end up going. And uh, at least to me, they didn't go and overspend anybody. Like, I don't love the Derek Rose contract. Um I, I don't think the Nerlens Noel one is, is awful. Like I think a lot of people made up like, Oh, these, these deals look really terrible. Like, why are they so long-term? And I just think, you know, how many deals do we actually see where the guys stay on a, on a team for that long? Like, I know it looks like on paper, all oh, this is what the team looks like for the next four years. It's going to change. And those are all movable contracts. Like, I don't, I don't think any of them are actively negative, at least not at the moment. So I'm not worried about it. They signed Evan Fournier, who I think makes them better. He's not, who I think addresses their needs. Like, I I guess I would say like with the Knicks, I don't think they did anything that necessarily like solves their biggest problems, like needing somebody who can be a real driver in the half court. But also I just don't know if there were real opportunities to make that happen. Like I think in the draft, they could have, they were not particularly invented with the draft in my opinion. Um, But also like, I just appreciate that they kind of doubled down on what they were doing last year, getting more shooting around Julius Randle and saying, Hey, you know, Julius might regress a little bit numbers-wise, but we trust in what we've built. We want to get better around what he's doing, and then we'll see what happens from there. So I think the Knicks are – I don't see them as like a four-seed again next year, but I think they're still pretty solidly a playoff team to me, barring injuries.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I watched them in the playoffs, they reminded me a lot of the 2017-18 Pacers Mm -hmm. and that Julius Randle had this magical year similar to Victor Oladipo where you, you know really enjoy watching him make strides. Randall's obviously shoot shot the heck out of the ball this year in ways that he hadn't before. His court mapping improved, all these things down the line. Then he gets into the playoffs, and because he is the number one option, the Hawks, Nate McMillan really gear the offense. They're flooding the strong side against him, and he struggles to make reads against that. Doesn't have necessarily the right personnel around him to be able to combat that, similar to Victor, and they have kind of a rocky playoffs. And then my questions going into this season are, if Julius Randall, like Victor, starts being defended as an all-star more regularly, uh, does he regress some? And I don't think even if he has some regression, that that means that you know he goes back completely to the player that he was. Because I think some of the improvements are independent of his improved shooting. But that being said, that was before they added Fournier and Kemba Walker. And Kemba, while I realize had has the knee issues existing, and we don't know completely what to expect from him, that's a dynamite signing. Like getting yeah. him on eight million. And the rest of the contracts, like you're saying, like they all have team options at the end of them. So they they really don't look as bad as what it seemed in the beginning. Um, most of them seem, you know, like they could be salary matching type deals, but Kemba and Fournier together for Boston were a, a solid two-man pairing. Like the, the numbers on that were good. So, and they're playing together. I think it's reasonable to think that that helps the Knicks. I mean, Kemba, I think can help R.J. Barrett, like what I was saying earlier with uh, Kyle Lowry and Jimmy, it's going to give R.J. Barrett even more room to attack against a rotating defense and really pushes driving. You get to play Rose with Emmanuel quickly off the bench. That was a decent pairing last year for them. Um, And I just think that if Kemba, if Julius Randle isn't having to do quite as much of the playmaking, like that isn't necessarily Kemba's first thing, but it does provide relief. And the only bar you're expecting Kemba Walker to clear is being better than what Alfred Payton was. And I find it very hard to believe that Kemba Walker isn't going to be better than what Alfred Payton was. He shot well over the dribble. And even though he dipped last year, he still shot the ball fairly decently each of the last, I don't know how many seasons. Evan Fournier can do stuff off of handoffs with Randle. Like, I still feel good about the Knicks. Like I think that they can be there. I don't know. I think that last year, if the Pacers had performed to expectations and were all healthy and weren't doing some of the Bjorken stuff, I think the Pacers should have been better than the Knicks. But I, I think that that's you know comparable right now without seeing both teams in action.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree. Like, I think I I would have them pretty much neck and neck right now, like in terms of talent, maybe you could say the Pacers have a little bit more, but it just kind of really depends on how things shake out coaching wise. Like, I, I don't, I I, like, I don't, I just, because I'm not in the locker rooms, I can't say like, oh, well, this guy does, like, I I feel uncomfortable, like saying like, oh, this guy should be coach of the year. But like, I do think like Tibbs did just such a fantastic job of really building that system around what they had. Um, And I was pretty, i like the knicks were like one of my like favorite teams to watch last year just in terms of getting the the most out of not really having a ton and they had some really impressive seasons from a lot of guys but yeah i agree like i think they're right around there and also too like kemba walker is not washed like no he has like very clear like yeah the i I believe it's i don't remember who put it out but he has like a degenerative knee condition which is that's not good but when he played last year, he was fantastic in Boston. Um, and it's just him being healthy. So I do wonder, like, you know, how does – and this isn't just all speculative stuff, like, how does the training staff handle that? How does Tom Thibodeau handle that? Like, do they have, like, a load management principle set up? Because I think they're at the point with him where you should be. But, I mean, especially after, like, January, and he shook – once he was really kind of back physically and had sh- shook off some rust, uh, he shot incredibly well from the field, was getting to his pull-ups, like you're mentioning. Like, he, this is – fantastic for for them and and even then like you're mentioning about Peyton like they drafted three guys on draft night who are going to be better in the NBA right away from day one than Alfred Payton was for them um like I the the point guard situation was so rough for them last year um so yeah I agree right right around the same spot um so I guess and well one thing
1: other thing is and with the ability to rise because I Mm -hmm. don't think it should be understated that Maybe maybe OKC knew more about Kemba's knees than any of the rest of us did. That's a possible angle. But Kemba also chose to go to the Knicks. Yeah. Like, the Knicks only need to be competent. Like, if they continue to show that they're going to prioritize winning, Julius Randle just agreed to an extension that gives them, fi- you know, financial flexibility because he wanted to continue playing for the Knicks. There's reason to believe that some star player might want to try to force his way to the Knicks. Like, Yep. Yeah. I just think that that's a distinct possibility that sadly, like I don't see that happening for a team like the Pacers that somebody's going to, you know, one out of their current contract with a team and be like, I'm going to force my way there. The markets are just that different. And then the bar for what the Knicks have to be is lower. I mean, if, if the Knicks had been like what the Pacers were under McMillan, you know, maybe they do attract a free agent if, if they have Madison Square Garden and they're in Manhattan. Like that's just a factor. So um, but I will transition into Boston if that's what team you were thinking about. Yeah,
0: that's what I was thinking of next.
1: So I struggle with the Celtics a lot. Me like too. And here's the thing. Like Celtic people, if you're listening to this, I do not deny that Jason Tatum is better than any player on the Pacers, the Knicks, or the Bulls. Like that's just flat out what it is. He could be a top 10 player next year. He's He probably could have been all NBA this year. Like the voting didn't shake out that way. Jalen Brown is an all-star. But – you know, all four teams that were in the bubble last year had had struggles. I understand that there was a lot of wear and tear that went along with that. If you look at the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Heat and the Celtics, um, the COVID stuff obviously with Jason Tatum and other members of the team, I'm sure had an impact as well. This was a weird year. It's an aberration for a lot of teams, but they were a 500 basketball team at the end of the day. And I can't say looking at what they've done this summer that they are better, like mm-hmm. definitively. I think Emmy Udoka has made it clear that he wants to really get Jason and Jalen into that all NBA conversation. I mean, Yudoko knows how to coach defense and this roster very much looks like a defense first team. I think if you have Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Josh Richardson out on the floor, you're probably going to be a very good defense, but uh there is just not they've lost a lot of the offensive punch and unless they get jumps like Peyton Pritchard shot the ball well last year off the bench unless they get jumps from Neesmith and maybe you can start him and bring Josh Richardson off the bench I don't know like Richardson and Smart shot 33 percent from the field last year like and ideally if I'm the Celtics I want Jason Tatum and Jalen to be able to be in the advantage creation business not in the floor spacing business for Mm -hmm. other guys like I think Mark and Smart can play point guard he had great chemistry with Al Horford in transition on 100-handed lobs last year, or not last year, but when the prior iteration of this team is together, but Al Horford is also now 35, and they don't have a lot of depth in terms of creation. They needed more shooting and more creative creativity, and I don't feel like this is taking pressure off of Jalen and Jason at either end of the floor because they have basically no depth at power forward either. Like You have Jabari Parker and Grant Williams. Like, I think that Jalen's capable, I mean, Jason's capable of having a very special season. This could be a very good defense. And not that these two teams are completely comparable in any shape, way, or form. But I would point out that the Golden State Warriors were a top five defense this year. And Stephen Curry was an MVP caliber player. And they did not make the playoffs. In part because of the play-in tournament, but they did not make the playoffs. So, and the other factor of this that I would point out is that all of the other teams that we've mentioned have coaches who are known quantities. We know what they are. I think as Pacer fans, we just saw yeah. what happens. You yeah. don't completely know. And I'm not saying that Emi Udoka is that. By all accounts, he is very well-respected and players very much like having worked with him. Some of these players already have experience with him from Team USA at the World Cup. I get that. But you don't know what type of system he needs to implement or how that's going to go. And I think that there is a learning curve for rookie coaches, at least when you don't have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden on your roster to buffer for some of that. So I can't definitively say that the Celtics are going to be better than the Pacers. Now, if you told me that the Celtics finished in sixth and the Pacers finished in ninth, I wouldn't like, sure, that that's a possibility. That could happen. But until I've seen Emmy Yudoka coach a game and understand a little bit more about where they're finding some of this offensive punch and figuring out some of the power forward stuff, which it's possible that Brad Stevens has other moves yet to make. I don't think the Tristan Thompson deal is finalized yet. Maybe Chris Dunn isn't staying there. It just, the roster feels very weird to me.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, even just like looking at the depth chart for them right now, pulling up, like, I think you can look at four guys in the in the top top 10 and just in the entire, like, 15-man roster and say that they're plus playmakers of their position. Like, Jason Tatum took a really big playmaking leap last year, but this feels like, I mean, if, if you're relying on Jason Tatum to create your entire offense, I just don't think that he's there yet. Like, I think yeah, he's, they- he's so good, but like... Like I actually was talking about this with a friend the other day. And this is not meant to be disparaging because I think, you know, me, like Paul George is my favorite player of all time. He's why I got into basketball. I think Jason Tatum has already eclipsed what Paul George did as an offensive player in his time in Indiana. Like he's become a better, better passer than, than Paul was in Indiana. I think he's gotten to a better stage as a scorer. Um, like I'm not saying he's better than Paul. Like I think what, what Paul was defensively in, in, in Indiana, like Jason is not there. Like he was, he was a good defender two years ago. Really took a step back this last year with more usage. Um, but I just think if you're relying on him to be your entire offense with what they have around him, like it's, I just don't think that's going to be even quite an average offense. Like that's tough to see. Like they'd have to be special defensively. Um, and that's bringing on to like, okay, so what am I supposed to make of this front court? Like I, I personally thought Al Horford was fine in in Oklahoma City. Like his shot came back, he was getting to play his natural position again. Which, believe it or not, playing playing thirty three year old Al Horford um, at power forward does not work. Um, Having him back at center made a lot of sense. You know, he's still doing all the things that make sense for him as a as a just a, a really intuitive player who makes quick decisions. He's a good passer. If the shot's there, I, I like him a lot. But I feel like, to me, he's more like looking at where Paul Millsap has been. Like, he's a 20 to 25-minute-per-game guy. I don't really think that you can count on him as a full starter. And he has lost quite a few steps. Like, he's not the same athlete he used to be. He'll still be, he'll still be in the same place. But, like, you, I don't think you can count on him to be, like, a linchpin for your defense. And I also just don't, like, is, are they trusting that Robert Williams the third is taking a step this year where, A, he can stay on court and be healthy because that's been an issue for him. And B, are his, his fouling problems going to go down? Because that was another, that's, I mean, that's continued to be an issue for him. Like, he's a, a very good playmaker, especially at center, but he's a little bit undersized. Like, I don't know how, who is, I don't, I don't really trust Al Horford to be the Joel Embiid, stop, Embiid stopper at age 35. Um, and then you have Ennis Cantor and, and Bruno Fernando. I'm just, I'm not really sure what to make of their front court situation. And same thing looking at their backcourt. Like, I love Marcus Smart, he's a fantastic player. Um, Peyton Pritchard is a fine playmaker, but even then, I don't know if he's ready to take over as the full on backup point guard. Like, especially if Marcus is your starting point guard, like I think if Marcus is your starting point guard, you want somebody who can come in and run a lot of stuff and, and bump him up to the two in some lineups. And I just don't know if I see that with this team. Like Josh Richardson has really, um, really struggled offensively the last two years. Uh, I don't really know entirely why so much has fallen off for him, but um while he's still capable of doing things as a playmaker, like the shot just hasn't been there to warrant a lot of a lot of touches to be a playmaker. Um, so I don't know. yeah, I think I just have so many questions about what this team is gonna be next year. like I'm not like out on them by any means. like they could be a lot better than i'm I'm envisioning right now. but like we've mentioned, like there's just so much in the way there that I, I just, I'm not really entirely sure how to feel about them.
1: Right. Like I, I you could, like I said, you could tell me that the Celtics finished in sixth and the Pacers were in ninth. And I'd be like, sure. And you could tell me the Pacers finished sixth and the Celtics finished in ninth. And I'd be like, sure. Either outcome feels very possible to me. <laughs> yeah. Like it feels like a wide range, but now let's move into our discussion of just the Pacers, yeah. like, you know, the roster other than Tory Craig being added and McDermott being gone. And obviously the rookies being, added in is essentially the same top same top guys so do you see improvement on the horizon for the Pacers
0: that's something I was thinking about um yesterday and and I'm I'm contemplating writing up on and I think there I mean I guess a lot of the things that you're hoping for in terms of change like maybe let's say the team doesn't doesn't make a trade um which again we're not advocating for it one way or another but like in some ways like if this is your ideology, well, maybe you should. But um, I think in looking at it, you're hoping, okay, is is Domas going to take another step as an individual scorer? Because as good as he is already, like, he, I mean, he scored 20 points per game last year. I think, I don't know if you would agree with me, but I think he still isn't quite there as an individual scorer. Like, he's obviously very good opportunistically. He's got fantastic footwork, great at attacking mismatches in the post, and just get, he got better at getting there himself last year but he still doesn't quite have something that he can go to consistently when he's not able to get separation. Like, you know, he started workshopping that 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 kind of Dirk fadeaway last year, and he, he was a little inconsistent with it, uh, didn't go back to it. I mean, there, there were stretches of the season where he just wouldn't go for it, and then you would go for, you know, seven or eight games, he would try it. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that there's real room for him to, to grow as a scorer, and actually just as an interesting, like, data query thing. This is going to be his sixth year in the NBA, which is kind of wild to think about. But also, um, that's where you really start to see: okay, is this guy hitting his uh, his peak as a scorer or, or as a? And again, this is not this is more just like as a gauge, more like looking at okay, well, where is he at as an offensive player right now? I'm not saying that he's like a finished product because I don't agree with that at all. He's twenty five, um, but like this is where you start to see it, is somebody differentiating themselves from being an All Star level scorer to being an All NBA level scorer. Um, So I think this is a really huge year for seeing what, what Domas can continue to build as a scorer with his gravity. Um, And then you can also say in terms of internal development, is TJ Warren taking another step? Um, Is he able to, to bounce back? I mean, obviously, you know, he missed all of last year with injury, but is he able to continue to build off of some of the things that he showed us in the bubble? Because I like, like we've talked about multiple times, like a lot of that stuff felt like real change. Like it wasn't just him being hot in the bubble. Like, obviously some hot shooting played a part, but like he was just fundamentally changing up his shot diet in some ways and, and running more pick and roll. And is that something he's going to be able to do at the next level? I mean, at this, in this next year, um, there's just a lot of questions there. Um, but also I would counter to and say for all of the questions that you can ask about, well, is this guy going to take a step for the Pacers? Like you can ask that for every other team that has a player who's 24, or 25. So, it's I'm not trying to sound like super hypocritical or like redundant, but it's just, I'm not entirely sure where any massive improvements are coming from.
1: Yeah. From the internal development side. I mean, it's interesting when you look at each of the players, because for one reason or another, there's a reason to question if any of them like, okay, if that guy's the number one option, here's this. Cause I mean, even you say that about TJ Warren and the pick and roll, like if he's, if, it was funny when you watched those eight seeding games in the bubble, because yes, you could definitely see like, and some of it was bugging me because it was turning into like philosophical, like we need to find some, you know, grand theory as to why this guy is popping off. When in reality, it's like, Hey, in certain ways, he just got better. Like I had a clips from that time when I wrote an article about it. It's like, okay, here he was playing the four during the regular season and Jonas Valanciunas is dropped all the way into the paint and he's taking two extra dribbles to pull up in the lane and shoot. And now in the bubble, he's taking one dribble and shooting from three. Like that's just Mm -hmm. expanding his game. That doesn't have to do with who's screening for him or which big is out there or where, you know, that plus, that's just where Jonas Valanciunas plays defense. They don't bring him out of the paint, no matter who's out there. So, um, some of that's just with TJ but also like teams in the bubble like you could tell they weren't completely thinking it was real yet until yeah. they got into the playoffs like the only team and i think some of it was because of you know how the pacers acquired him from phoenix when they played the suns in the bubble the suns trapped him a little bit and he had some issues with that not a lot but then the heat blitzed him then the heat really brought extra defenders against some of his isolations out of Iverson cuts. They were flooding over and, and his scoring dropped off. Like he didn't, I mean, he still averaged like what, 20 points a game in the playoffs. I don't remember what his numbers were. 18. Yeah. I think it was 20, but it wasn't to the same level that it was in the bubble, but enough where you would question, okay, if he was running pick and roll a lot and this wasn't just like a, a, a nice wrinkle that you could throw in there to make an opposing four have to guard over a screen. He doesn't have the playmaking there. Like, that's just to this point in time, his playmaking, I don't think, is strong enough for me to say, like, he could night in and night out be a top number one option. Like, yes, he was the Pacers' leading scorer, but not in the sense that he was initiating offense for you. That was mostly play finishing. I don't know that I would feel confident that he's going to be against heightened coverages if he was playing at that level all the time, that he could be making plays for other people enough. And then you can kind of see, I mean, with Karras and Brogdon, um, how teams were ducking under against both of them, especially when one or the other of them wasn't on the floor. And with Sabonis, mm-hmm. unlike what I said about Bam earlier, I do think he has a nice balance in picking between when he needs to be aggressive scoring and when he's going to be shooting. We talked about this on the pod. Like, I point out um, some of the ways teams were covering him, especially when they were trying not to give up a switch and what he was doing with his mid-range face-up and and some of his, like, Facing up with a crossover dribble, that always made me a little bit nervous next year. And you can look at like Embiid and Sabonis isn't as good of a post player as Embiid is. Clearly not as dominant in that respect or at drawing fouls in that degree. But part of what opened up Embiid's passing game this year was because he is facing up and he could see double teams coming. That isn't really a problem with Sabonis. He's a better passer out of the post than Embiid is. He doesn't turn it over to the extent that Embiid does. But if he could see double teams coming and could pass out of that, that would open up a lot for him and the Pacers. But I say this, with the context of I don't know how Carlisle is completely going to use him this year. Like, I mean, Sabonis is more complete in the sense that if he does, when he does see heightened coverage, that's to the benefit of the Pacers. Like he's it's better when he gets double teams than when he gets guarded one-on-one straight up and then four people stand there and watch him. Like (laughs) that's just the ideal, better outcome. So While I agree with you, like, yes, if he continues to be able to put the ball on the floor and he, and if he could shoot threes, it would make him a more complete player. It's just to me, it's about how you're reshaping the defense and where some Mm -hmm. of those shots need to get distributed when, when there's reasons that you can point out why some of these people can't necessarily be the team's top scoring option, but a lot of this gets changed too because TJ Warren wasn't out there with him. Like Karras wasn't out there with him for the whole season this year. Like things get easier for both of them, all three players, all you know, the whole starting five when you have better players who can do more things out on the floor. I do think losing McDermott matters. I mean, I know that the NBA general is kind of moving away from shooting specialists. Um, not in terms of the pay. They're still getting paid a lot, but in terms of how playable they continue to be deeper into the playoffs if your main thing is shooting if you're not hitting those shots you know what else are you offering so um, I think McDermott did offer other things at least in his terms of reads and his gravity even when he didn't have the ball but I think that is a loss unless you know Chris Duarte can automatically you know fill in some of it but here's where I'm at with it the only thing that I can hang my hat on here with and I know a lot of fans are frustrated that this roster is exactly the same and it is confusing from a messaging standpoint that you've admitted on record that your team didn't have a vocal leader uh that you needed an Al Jefferson type player and then at least to this point you haven't done anything about it to be running back the exact same team that you know didn't really meet expectations last year and it hasn't gotten out of the first round and we can peg a lot of that on injuries and and we don't need to rehash all of it but I will say this with Rick Carlisle I do not think that the offense is going to suffer from Bjorker and to Rick Carlisle. Like if, if anything, it's going to get better because you're going to have better weapons out there than what Nate Bjorker had to work with for most of the season. And they made strides on that into the floor. Even with all the injuries, They were still what, like a top 13 offense per 100 possessions. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of a all on its own given some of the lineups they were having to play throughout the season and the lack of creation that they had out on the floor. So I don't think you're going to lose anything there. At the other end of the floor, and I know people are probably tired of me harping on this, if they would have just run a normal defense, like not we're going to be hyper aggressive and never fully, you know, try everything and never get good at anything. And we're going to mix in all these different coverages with different lineups who have never practiced them before. And it looks very clearly to anyone who understands Boxing 1 and 2, 3 and Triangle and 2 that we don't know what our roles and responsibilities are within this and that we're visibly frustrated doing it against other teams. And our effort is waning and like a vicious cycle of, you know, Quite frankly, I went back and looked at stuff because I was doing a ton of Ben Simmons research for about a week because the Pacers kept getting linked to Ben Simmons. I was watching and deliberately looking for, okay, when did he run double drags? How did teams guard him in these double drags? What did he do in case you know he was going to be coming to the Pacers? I can tell you that after watching them all, the Pacers were the only team that guarded him thirty that where he warranted screens 30 feet from the basket like he ran double drags against other teams never that deep and never with a defender trailing him like there's just enough that it it, in part i kind of wonder how the players didn't mutiny at times like it almost speaks well of them that they continued doing this stuff like you're in the playing game and they continued going over because apparently that's what their coach wanted them to do like at a certain point in time i'm just kind of surprised that they continued like willfully going along like in that wizards game when they gave up the and however many points like and they're telling them okay when Russell's off the court you're in box and one when they're both on the court you're in triangle and two and we're also going to switch two three based on whether we score or not and we're also going to go over on every Russell Westbrook screen no matter how much it's harming our defense like the fact that they kept doing that in that game no matter how harmful it was almost kind of you know as strange as it seems kind of speaks to the character of the team and that they were only you know almost made the playoffs with all the injuries that they had. Like, there's a part of me that's like, you know, I don't always see coaching as being something like, I think that the NBA is more about the talent that you have. But if you just simplify what the defense was, run a base scheme that makes sense for the roster, and you're able to get some degree of buy-in, I don't see why the Pacers can't be a playoff team, even considering that I do think that the East is better. Like, I think that this is in play.
0: Yeah, no, I think those are all fantastic points that I would completely agree with. Like, I think part of what made last season so maddening, like we talked about it, like the team was just – like the talent was so much better than a team that, that played like they did. Um, and you could just see like there were like a lot of the sets and, and schemes and things that they were running were actively like just nonsense in some regards. So, yeah, I do think – um just having this changeover will be huge uh, in, in regards to what it looks like next season. But I still just continue to have questions about like um you know, what that, like how the, how they view their quote unquote window or what they're trying to do, because I don't know. I mean, we just can like, we, like we talked about off top, like we just continue to not really have a real answer for what they're doing with the centers. But um, I well, agree. And it's, like,
1: it's, and it's completely fair. Like if, like I said, I think there's a wide range here. If they finished where they did last year because other teams made improvements, I could see that reality being in play, that they they could fall to the play in tournament. I could also see them being slightly better than what we projected. Like, yep. I feel like of all the teams, that they're the ones that I have the most trouble pegging because we haven't seen all five of these people play together for even a minute. And we don't know, you and I don't know what the internal dynamics of this team are at this point what the relationships are like. I would like to think that if it was as damaging as, you know, what the internet likes to argue about, that they probably would have made a change. Like, that's kind of where I lean with it, that if it, if it was really that bad, you'd think that there'd been a, some sort of a changeup that would have occurred. But I also think there's value in, you know, if, any, if nothing else, you run this core back and you find out exactly what you have and you make moves from there. Like, if there wasn't something you know, that was guaranteed to make them better in the market. And I don't know what these teams were potentially offering or what even all players they talked about, but clearly they didn't feel like anything was good enough to make them better. So if they didn't feel like they were going to get better from it, then you come back, you start the season and you find out what's out there. I mean, hopefully I, you know, the one the one benefit, while I don't agree with the idea of staggering the bigs and putting one on the bench, the sole benefit that I could see of that is you could implement different defenses. I mean, other teams do this. They don't all just run the same defense no matter which five is on the floor. That you could implement schemes that make sense for both of them. And instead of doing what happened last year where you're running a hyper-aggressive funneling scheme that makes absolutely no sense for Sabonis to be the five at, and then we're all wondering why the defense looks bad. Like, That's one benefit of doing that. I still don't think that they should do it, but maybe Rick Carlisle does enter the season if they're both on the team and at least in the minutes when they aren't going to be playing together, there can be more of a plan for how they're going to attack that. But, um, I can play both sides of the fence and I know that that's not really what podcasts are for that people would much rather that I have a hot take and then they can make fun of me for it later. But I understand why there's some fans that are frustrated with continuing to kick the can down the road. But I also understand from the front office's perspective a little bit why they're continuing to kick the can down the road. So that's where I land.
0: Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Um, it's going to be just kind of feeling things out. I think, uh, Today is the sixth, so I believe Keelan Martin's deal just got um, fully guaranteed for next year. If they have not cut him uh, while we were podcasting, I have not gotten any notifications that they have. So Keelan Martin will be on the team next year, barring trade. Um, and also, the trade moratorium has o- or not trade more. I think it's trade moratorium whatever has opened up. So now all the deals can start being finalized since it hit twelve o'clock on August sixth. Um, so I'm sure some things will be leaking out and changing up and anything could happen from now until the season starting up. So we'll of course be staying on top of that. Um, but things are mostly, uh, unless anything like that happens, things are mostly wrapped up with free agency in, in the off season. Um, which is kind of wild and exciting. Are you, uh, are you ready for the malice at the palace stock next week? <laughs>
1: Oh yeah. I can't look forward to that enough. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I did, I, there has been a lot of podcasting with Jermaine O'Neal late. And apparently yeah. there is a lot that even after, you know, Jonathan Abrams wrote the fantastic oral history um, several years ago at, at Grantland that apparently there is footage that people haven't seen and a lot that's going to come out that people don't know. So I, I will, I will most likely be watching it.
0: Oh, I'm very excited to see it. I'll probably be upset and think about the O5 team and how good, uh Ron Artest now Medford Meta- Artest would have been uh in that season had that not happened but you know that's uh that's what it is, it is what it is luckily i like i, I don't know it's different cuz i didn't get to really live through it like i remember my first uh real moment of it was probably gosh 3 or 4 years after it happened and youtube started being a thing um my dad showed it to me on one of those old box computers, I think it was an IBM, like one of the old IBM box computers that we had in our, uh, in our, in our office. And uh, I think I was like nine when he showed me, and it was like the most crazy thing to see it unfold uh, on like a grainy YouTube picture. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it, see if I can learn more about it and get more of a feel for it. But um, I'm looking forward to it. you have anything fun on the horizons or what are you up to this weekend?
1: No, I don't. I don't even know what my plans are. I feel like all the days have just run together because of free yes. agency and everything. It's already so August now. It's blending. Is I mean, wild, I'll be you? watching summer league for sure. Yeah, I'll tune into that. Um, have you watched
0: there... the Grizzlies summer league team at all yet?
1: No, I have not watched oh, the other summer fool. leagues. You're I have so not watched fool. the other summer leagues as of yet. But yeah. I have to make sure that uh, ESPN Plus is up and operational for me so I can start mm-hmm. streaming some of these. But, oh, I should have said, too, that when we were, like, comparing the teams, like, that wasn't me looking at those things through a playoff lens particularly. I was just assessing teams via regular Yeah, season, I was thinking as more I about think regular you were about the too. Like, yeah. probably my opinions about the Pacers in comparison to some of those other teams as playoff contenders might have been a little bit different. But yeah, yeah I
0: should definitely. have specified that no i told you i'll put a i'll put a disclaimer for us in uh in the description down below but caitlin thank you again i always enjoy getting to talk to everyone listening thank you for listening and most importantly just have a good rest of your day